0: Good questions are bridges to great relationships. A beneficial and unexpected byproduct of improving my focus is my increased ability to help others improve theirs. That's one small step for man. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We choose to go to the moon not because they are easy but because they are I hard. I have a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 super you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope everyone's hanging in there. Got the new book out, The Focus Project. I'm going to give you snippets of it on the podcast for free. So essentially, we're giving you the audible version of the book for free. Um, and I hope it helps you out. Or maybe it's a friend that's really struggling during these challenging times to focus on the big things. It's called The Focus Project. It's available on Amazon. But again, this is my way of saying thank you. We love you. God bless. I hope this helps you out uh, with you listening. Let us know if this is helping you out. Other than that, every Wednesday, you're still going to get the regular podcast, the Super U podcast. So I can't thank you enough uh, for listening. And again, we love all our listeners. So I hope you're hanging in there. If you enjoy listening to this, then send a copy. Send a paperback copy via Prime to that friend. Tell them you're thinking about them. Going, hey, you know, times are tough. I know we're isolated, but I'm really thinking about you. And I thought you'd enjoy this book. Or you can send them the Kindle version as well. Anyways, without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the Super You Podcast. And today it's a little different. It's going to be a snippet from my new book, The Focus Project. Letting Go Before Going Nuts Monkey hunters use a simple box with a small opening big enough for the monkey to slide its hand inside and grab the nuts. The monkey smells the nuts, ranging from peanuts to Brazilian nuts, then reaches in and grabs them. As he does this, the monkey's hand becomes a fist. When the monkey tries to get his hand out with the nuts in its fist, the opening, wide enough for the hand to slide in and out, is much too small for the monkey's entire fist to exit. Now the monkey has a choice. Either let go of the nuts and be free forever, or hang on to the nuts and get caught. Guess what the monkey picks every time? You guessed it, he hangs on to the nuts and gets caught. It's literally nuts in this instance not to let go. I had to ask myself, what was I holding on to so tightly? Where could I let go to help improve sales? The biggest nut I was holding on to was our branding presence online. Specifically, what we were posting on social media. A designer by heart, anything that wasn't beautiful drove me nuts, pun intended. To give you a sense of how nutty I was, let's look at my daughter's soccer team. When coaching my daughter's first grade soccer team, the Cotton Candy Cookie Rainbow Warriors, If a girl left her water bottle in the practice field, which was a daily occurrence, I would actually prop the water bottle in a nice setting and take a picture with a good aperture to blur on the background before sending a notice to the parents for anyone missing a water bottle. Crazy I know. I was taking the time to scout, shoot, and send out a professional level photograph of a lost of the Explorer water bottle. This is how obsessed I am with design. I realized that if I wanted to go fast on social media, I should be doing it myself. But if I wanted to go far, we need to do it as a team. Trusting the team with our design and social media activities allowed me to spend more time deepening relationships with partners and prospects. While it isn't easy retraining my monkey brain, I was beginning to learn the benefit of letting go of the nuts. It all started with jam. One day, Mark Lepper and Sheena Leininger carefully formed a large, 24-variety jam display in an upscale market. Every few hours, Mark and Sheena adjusted the large table display from 24 varieties of jam to only six options. Their discovery? The larger display of 24 jams received 60% more attention than the showcase of only six jams. However, what transpired was quite remarkable. While the large display garnered the most attention and had the most choices, the table with fewer choices available achieved significantly more sales. The results weren't even close. People were 10 times more likely to purchase from the table with fewer choices. This JAM study, as well as many others like it, center around choice overload or the paradox of choice. For example, several studies have shown that if employees are given more fund options for their 401k plan, fewer will actually participate. They experience choice overload. The lesson, try to avoid choice overload in your life. Narrowing consideration sets. When I was on the advisory board at Bizarre Voice, the team embarked on an experiment. Bizarre Voice is a tool that captures online ratings and reviews for clients as such the team wanted to showcase how powerful online reviews can be in an offline retail environment well versed in the paradox of choice the bizarre voice team felt that ratings dramatically helped the shopper by narrowing the consideration set in a well-known electronic store they selected an aisle of similar products from various makes and models for customers to choose from then they printed online reviews for a select number of these products that had similar online ratings, a 4-star rating on a 5-star scale. They also printed the most helpful positive and negative online comments about that particular product and taped these on the shelf above the product. After a few weeks of testing, what did they discover? Sales for every product with review taped above it dramatically went up. The review helped narrow the shopper's focus. The other surprise they discovered was that overall sales not only went up for those particular products but total sales for the entire aisle went up compared to the rest of the store. The takeaway here is to look at our list of projects and rate each project based on importance on a scale from one to 10. Rating them will help narrow our consideration set, thereby increasing the likelihood of us accomplishing our most important projects first. The one question to ask, One of the unforeseen benefits of focusing on growth is that I started becoming attuned to helpful advice on growth. Ironically in sales, it's important to help our prospects to focus. Asking good questions is the best way to do this. These questions help determine the root of their anxiety and how we can help remove pain points. The New York Times bestselling author and organizational sales expert, Daniel Pink, uncovered a helpful tactic for getting prospects to focus. His approach is also helpful in motivating employees, friends, teenagers, and beyond. I was fortunate to find myself sharing the stage with Daniel Pink at a conference, and we struck up a conversation in the green room. To explain this particular focusing tactic, he uses the scenario of a parent with a messy teenage daughter. To paraphrase Pink from our conversation, most parents will take the approach of, Sydney, please go clean your room. I don't feel like a dad, and why does it matter? At this point, the dad is most likely to respond in a manner such as, You should clean your room because I told you to clean it. The reason it's important is... Dot, dot, dot. And he will proceed down the path of listing out the benefits of cleaning. Discipline, finding things more easily, accomplishment and pride, not being embarrassed when your friends visit, etc. These are all perfectly good reasons for cleaning a room. The problem... They aren't likely to change her behavior because the reasons are dad's, not Sydney's. However, with the help of two simple questions, everything can change. Good morning, Sydney. On a scale of 1 to 10, how ready are you to clean your room? Uh, I'd probably say a 4, yeah, yeah, solid 4. That's great, Sydney, but I'm curious as to why you didn't pick a lower number, something around a 2 or a 3. I don't know, I figure I should probably clean it today or tomorrow since Harley and Sarah are coming over on Friday. It would be a little embarrassing if my dirty bras and underwear are lying around. It'll make things easier to find like my favorite shirt. It'll give me a sense of accomplishment. And I know it'll make you and mom happy. So, I guess that's why I answered a four. The reasons she gives are almost exactly the same as dad's reasons. The critical difference is that she is formulating them. The key to this method is to use it sparingly with employees or teenage daughters. Otherwise, it will become ineffective. With clients or sales prospects, the interactions are less frequent, so it can be even more effective. I was hired by a very well-known jewelry company to help with its focus on the retail level. We were able to use this method effectively with their sales associates. Specifically, the scenario that most often played out in the store was sales associate. Can I help you? This is the customer. Yes, I'm looking for some earrings. Fantastic. Any special occasion? Yes, it's for our five-year anniversary. Congratulations. That's wonderful news. When is the big day? Next Saturday. So I'd really like to figure this out today. Great. Given the pressing timeline on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you about knowing what she doesn't like? Notice the salesperson here purposely says doesn't to narrow the selection process. Most people feel confident in someone else's dislikes since that subset doesn't seem as open as what she does like. Also, the customer now views the world through a different lens. As long as he avoids picking the items she doesn't like, he can be confident in his selection. Customer, I'd say I'm probably around an eight on knowing what she doesn't like. Sales associate, great, and eight is pretty good. What doesn't she like? Well, she definitely doesn't like gold or copper. She also doesn't like anything too big since she has smaller ears. Wow. Well, you know quite a lot. On the opposite side, what earrings do you remember her wearing for a special occasion, like going out to a nice restaurant? Uh, she wore some round diamonds the other day. She wears those quite a lot. Perfect. If it's okay for you, I can show you our silver and platinum lines that have two or three diamonds so that they are similar to what you know she likes, but also will be unique enough to be special. This scenario is less about motivation and more about focusing on details to help suppress the anxiety and paralysis of making the wrong purchase. Notice in this exchange that the right questions help combat the paradox of choice. The question, What does she like is too open, big, and overwhelming. Asking what she doesn't like is easier to answer and can often help the buyer focus. In a similar fashion, an emerging pattern with our sales emails showed that most were long and focused on us, what we do, and why we are the best at it. Holy hell, I thought nobody's going to read all this. I received around 50 similar unsolicited emails myself from different companies each day, and they always went into my trash folder. After a few weeks with little success from these long emails, the team approached me for help and suggestions. I asked one of our team members, Shannon, a few questions, and I immediately saw the aha in her eyes. Me. Do you like receiving long or short emails? Short. Would you consider this email you just sent to the prospect short? No, it's long, arguably obnoxiously long. If you received an email like this, would you read it or delete it? Shannon replied, I would delete it. It's overwhelming. Are the most helpful emails you receive about you and your needs, or are they about why the company emailing you is great? Well, I like receiving emails about me and my needs. Do you like the emails to be serious, business speak, or fun and human? And Shannon, of course, replied, fun and human. Do you think you have a possible solution? Shannon's eyes lit up and said, yes, when you put it like that, it's a little easier to see that we should probably change our emails to be more focused on the recipient and less on us we should make them shorter and ask a fun personal question that almost everyone will want to answer shannon then changed her multi-paragraph email about our animation studio capabilities to focus on the recipient's specific needs not ours i love your company's new electric toothbrush if you ever need an animated video to help increase sales of your toothbrush on amazon we have done similar videos for disney speaking of disney What was your favorite Disney movie growing up? Mine was The Incredibles. Best, Shannon. People will not only pause to think about their favorite Disney movie growing up, but they will also feel compelled to respond and share a little piece of themselves. It doesn't hurt to remind them of being a kid. Other questions that usually work include, What is your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Or, What is your favorite kid's cereal? When we tell our prospects that our favorite movie is The Incredibles or our favorite Girl Scout cookie is Thin Mints, we do it with an image of The Incredibles DVD cover or an image of a Thin Mint cookie versus text. Most of us are visual learners and receive a sense of stimulation from images, hence the explosion of emojis. A picture is indeed worth a thousand words. We found that by keeping our emails short and human and by using images, that our success dramatically increased. Reducing our customer consideration set can also have profound results, both in life and in business. The CEO of a $3 billion company told me that he kicked off the year by telling his board of directors, we are doing too much, and then courageously asked the board for permission to focus only on their core competency, banks and credit unions. Doing this meant they'd be giving up potentially big clients in other industries such as airlines, food, real estate, etc. The board reluctantly approved the CEO's request, adding that if the plan failed, he would be held responsible. For the CEO to focus solely on the core vertical took guts, but the results were staggering. Over 12 months, they doubled revenue and tripled profits, all from one very difficult decision, doing less. This story resonated with me since it's exactly what we're trying to do by narrowing the focus and zoning in on US performances versus all the other markets and opportunities. Good questions are bridges to great relationships. A beneficial and unexpected byproduct of improving my focus is my increased ability to help others improve theirs. This improvement resulted from me learning to ask better questions. Focus questions are the building blocks of deep relationships. Think about it. When is the last time you said, Wow, I really love hanging out with Luke because he talks the whole time. Said by no one ever. The conversations we actually enjoy share a pattern. The other person spends the majority of the time listening, really listening. He hangs on our every word. Watch what he does. He leans in when we are speaking. He looks us in the eye and ask questions that he knows we will enjoy answering. If focused questions are the bridge to great relationships, then the better our questions, the better we will be at building and maintaining relationships. Relationships drive all transactions. Whether it's a sales transaction or a simple favor, we don't buy from companies, we buy from people. This statement applies not only to business, but to life as well. If a daughter wants to sell her parents on the idea of getting a new social media account or staying out two hours past her curfew, Her chances of getting a yes dramatically increase the stronger the relationship she has with her parents. Trust has been built over time. Let's get back to the power of questions. An example of my questions becoming better, questions that helped others to focus, came when I was on a prep call with a partner. This particular partner was bringing me in to deliver the keynote at their annual conference. They were nervous as it was the first time in their history that the audience would be a mix of their top partners and clients. These were the CEOs and executive teams of the world's most visited restaurants. Weeks before I took the stage, there were several prep calls leading up to the event. When delivering a keynote, I always have three goals for the audience. Entertain them, educate them, and empower them. My belief is that most people enjoy being entertained, and entertainment is the superhighway of opening one's mind to new ideas. It's as if one's head is physically pried open, and we pour knowledge onto the sponge we call a brain. Education then leads to empowerment. Formulaically, it looks like this. Entertain leads to education, which leads to empowerment. A typical prep call would go like this. I would start the call and I'd say, I'd like to entertain, educate, and empower the audience, knowing how we're doing all three, which is the most important. And the partner would typically respond, great question. I guess I'd say all three are equally important. They are essentially saying, yes, I'd like it all. It's analogous to asking a child if she could only have one scoop of ice cream, would she want vanilla, chocolate, or strawberry? And her replying with an ambiguous, yes! Roughly 95% of the responses were similar to the above. This type of answer wasn't helping me tailor my performance for the audience. At first, I erroneously believed that the problem resided with the partner. I was blaming the other party. It's not me, it's them. Why can't they just properly answer my question? I realized that if all the partners were giving unfocused answers, the problem was not their answers. The problem was my questions. This was a eureka moment. A big part of focus is breaking problems down from a mountain into pebbles. To achieve a better answer, my question needed to help the partner focus. My question became more focused. My new questions was, my approach is to entertain, educate, and empower your audience. If I were to give you 10 unbreakable gold coins to put into three buckets of entertain, educate, and empower, how would you allocate these coins? And the partner would respond, well, my hunch is to lean more toward education, uh, but that hunch is generally wrong with these conferences. Since you're kicking things off, we'd like them to be in a good mood, and since the day before, they I've had tons of breakout sessions around technical education. I think I'd like to allocate the coins as five for entertainment, two for education, and three for empowerment. While this approach to questioning entailed a very small change, The answer and the results were dramatic. Everyone benefited. The partner, me, and most importantly, the audience. Occasionally, the events team says one thing, and the CEO says the exact opposite. Better focused questions give us a fighting chance to iron things out and get on the same page before performing on stage. One of our partners paid us the highest compliment. Wow! Wow! I've been doing this for 20 years and I've never heard such thought-provoking questions. Another useful question in any vocation is one by Airbnb founder Brian Chesky. Most people are ecstatic with a five-star Airbnb experience out of five stars. You're five out of five stars. But Brian wanted to know what an 11-star experience would look like. Borrowing this idea, I will often ask, a five-star experience is great, But what does an 11-star experience look like? We eventually took this to my favorite number, 42, my college basketball number. What does a 42-star experience look like? Research shows that people have a tendency to remember strange numbers, 42 versus, say, a 5 or 10. The insights we've received from our 42-star question have helped us deliver such an experience. The other surprising outcome? Now planted in our clients' minds was the expectation that I would deliver a 42-star performance. Following events, I'll often receive notes from the conference organized along the lines of, Nice job! Truly 42 stars! The best way to build relationship, the basis of both business and life, is to ask focused questions that help the respondent deliver focused answers. We were closing in on January 31st, and it was bittersweet. I was excited to begin next month's focus on organizing my life, yet sad that my dedicated focus on sales growth was coming to an end. I started this month nervously thinking, what if I focused on sales growth and didn't improve the results? What will I do then? Will I have to scrap the entire focus project, scrap this book? Fortunately, the results exceeded my wildest dreams. A record sales month, not only this, but spoiler alert, This month propelled us to a record sales year. We also greatly increased the size and quality of the audiences in the circles I was running in. I met President Obama, was called to fill in for Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak as an opening speaker at a conference, spoke on stage with the director of the FBI addressing 3,300 counterterrorism agents, coached the CEO of Godiva Chocolates, and then twice joined Sex and the City's Sarah Jessica Parker on stage. I was even blessed to adopt a baby cheetah in Kenya. Focus made it all possible. Keep calm and focus on. That's all for today's free clip from the audible version of my new book, The Focus Project. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's Super U podcast. If you did and want to get the book either for yourself or someone you know in your family that you haven't seen for in a while, it makes a great gift. I would mean the world to me if you got the book because I think it's going to help so many people that are wrestling with how to focus in these ever increasingly and changing times. Anyways, this is Equal Man reminding all of us it's not what we take from the world, it is what we leave behind. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 super you.